I'm Dr. Vanessa Sinclair, and this is Rendering Unconscious. My guests today are Lila June Johnston and Tanea Winder. Lila June is an Indigenous public speaker, artist, scholar, and community organizer of Diné, Cheyenne, and European lineages from Taos, New Mexico. Her messages focus on Indigenous rights, supporting youth, traditional land stewardship practices, and healing intergenerational and intercultural trauma. She blends undergraduate studies in human ecology at Stanford University, graduate work in Native American pedagogy at the University of New Mexico, and the indigenous worldview she grew up with to inform her perspectives and solutions. Her internationally acclaimed presentations are conveyed through the medium of poetry, music, and or speech. She is currently pursuing a doctoral degree at the University of Alaska Fairbanks in indigenous studies with a focus on indigenous food systems revitalization. She has two new songs out, North Star featuring Quincy Davis and Water is Life featuring Oliver and Jadi. They are streaming on all platforms now and links to the music videos are in the text accompanying this episode. All Bandcamp sales for these songs Benefit 7th Generation Fund, dedicated to Indigenous peoples' self-determination and the sovereignty of Native nations. You can visit her Bandcamp at lilajune.bandcamp.com, visit her website lilajune.com, and follow her at Instagram at lilajune. That's L-Y-L-A. J-U-N-E. Tanea Winder is a poet, writer, artist, and educator who was raised on the Southern Ute Reservation in Ignacio, Colorado. An enrolled member of the Duckwater Shoshone tribe, her background includes Southern Ute, Pyramid Lake Paiute, Diné, and Black heritages. Tanea writes and teaches about different expressions of love, self-love, intimate love, social love, community love, and universal love. She is the director of the University of Colorado Boulder's Upward Bound program. During her 10 years there, she has served hundreds of indigenous youth. She teaches as an adjunct professor at the University of New Mexico. Tanea believes everyone has a gift they've been placed on this earth to share. Her specialties include youth and women empowerment, healing trauma through art, creative writing workshops, and mental wellness advocacy. Tanea created Dream Warriors Management, a collective of indigenous artists who believe in pursuing passions, dreams, and gifts to better loved ones and communities while also uplifting others. Each artist travels to perform concerts, run workshops, teach empowerment and artistic skill sets, showcase his, her, or their performance art and artistry, and speak at various engagements throughout the country. Together, they've developed the Dream Warriors Scholarship. See more at the website dreamwarriors.co. Join Tanea for her Ignite Your Fire tour. Tour dates span the month of October and into November with both online and in-person events, culminating in the 8th Annual Native Alliance Leadership Summit on November 6th. For more, visit her website, TaneaWinder.com, as well as follow her on Instagram at TaneaWinder. 
That's T-A-N-A-Y-A-W-I-N-D-E-R. She also has a Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Tanea. You can also check out her TED Talk presented at TEDx Albuquerque 2013, Igniting Healing, a powerful talk on the power of poetry and creativity. Links to all of these sites can be found in the text accompanying this episode. As with all Rendering Unconscious podcast episodes, there is a video accompanying this episode at YouTube. Just visit Trapart Films' YouTube channel, that's T-R-A-P-A-R-T Film at YouTube, or search for Rendering Unconscious Podcast. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. You can visit my website, drvanessasinclair.net, or the podcast main website, renderingunconscious.org, for links and more information. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at rawsin underscore. That's R-A-W-S-I-N underscore. Rendering Unconscious is also a book, Rendering Unconscious, Psychoanalytic Perspectives, Politics, and Poetry, from Tripart Books 2019. For more information, you can visit our publisher's website, tripart.net. That's T-R-A-P-A-R-T dot net. You can support the podcast at our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Vanessa 23 Carl. That's V-A-N-E-S-S-A 2-3-C-A-R-L. Your support is very appreciated. Thank you so much for supporting Rendering Unconscious Podcast and all of my other creative endeavors. Well, um, yeah, it's a shik a arashadine, shae Lila Jun Yanishia. Uh, greetings, my kin and my people. My name is Lila Jun. I'm from the Nanisht Ejitachini clan of the Dene Nation, or also incorrectly known as Navajo. Uh, my father's mother's of the Southern Cheyenne clan. And um, in that manner, I present myself as a Dene woman. Because um, we Get our main identities from our mother line so that's my my main clan is from my mother um and i think today and i were talking about this podcast and thinking about you know some of the psychological effects that indigenous peoples feel each and every day from the wake of colonization and the process of colonization on this land that has been going on for about 500 years. And Tanea and I, I'll let her speak for herself, but she and I get to work together uh, all the time to help Native youth uh, who are maybe feeling lost, maybe don't have a firm identity, maybe are uh, having suicide ideation, maybe are having problems at home or are themselves into substances and mind-altering substances and you know I myself I was that native youth who was having all those issues Um, and so we really try to be on the ground to help them Um, many many different tribes over the past decade or two have issued states of emergency because the youth suicide rate was so high they would lose five kids in a month ten kids in a month um, there was packed suicide, so kids would go together. Um, and it has been really uh, heartbreaking for our communities. Um, and so I think that's sort of the big picture of what we want to talk about is the um, 
the larger patterns of colonization that give rise to these conditions. Um, a lot of indigenous peoples are, you know, not, not doing so well, you know, sometimes people think, oh, we get a casino check and we're all good. And, uh, but I, I've never seen a casino check in my life. Um, and the average household income for my nation is $20,000 for the entire household that's the median income for the Diné nation. And we're actually one of the more well-off nations uh, to some degree, there's, there's a spectrum, but so we're, we have an intense situation of poverty, you know, 20,000 a year for the whole house is, is not very much. And many of my people make much less than that. Um, indigenous women are the most likely demographic to be raped, beaten or stalked in their lifetimes. Um, and so then the begs the question, why are we in this situation? Why are we as indigenous peoples faced with so many obstacles? And I won't get into it too deep, but you know, this should answer the question fairly quickly is, you know, just a hundred and a hundred and some years ago, it was legal to hunt native people in California and you would actually get paid for it. You could get paid for every um, person. And so there was mercenary and bounty hunting. So just a little over a hundred years ago, that was completely normal and even codified into United States law. Um, and so the idea that we are human, that indigenous peoples are human in the eyes of, uh, uh American society is a relatively recent thing. So for this reason, you know, and way more reasons that I won't get into because it's already kind of a deep conversation, but suffice it to say, we've been through a lot um, and we're actually not supposed to be here. The, the policy was extermination and yet we're here. And so um, we're dealing with the after effects of that. So um, I think we as a nation can really do a lot and uh, I can get into more of that later. No matter who we are, no matter what skin color we have, whatever language we speak, we all have a profound ability in this country to turn this situation around for the indigenous peoples of this land, for the original stewards of this land, for the original caretakers of this land, uh, so that native peoples no longer feel like outcasts in their own home. Uh, there's a lot that we as a nation can do to start um, bringing healing into these communities. There's a lot that's already being done, in fact. Um, and there's a lot that each and every one of us can do in our prayers to, to keep native people in mind and think of the ways in which we are benefiting from the displacement and dispossession of indigenous peoples and how that has psychological effects on those communities. So um, I don't know, Tanea, do you wanna speak to sort of like what you do on the ground to address these issues or anything else? Sure. Yeah, and just so Mike Nunania Tanea Winder. My name is Tanea Winder. I'm a citizen of the Duckwater Shoshone Nation. I'm also Pyramid Lake Paiute, Southern Ute, Diné, and Black. And I uh, grew up on the Southern Ute Reservation where my father's from. And just to like emphasize and, and highlight some of what Lila was saying, like even just last, only last month was official language overturned in Colorado. One of the former governors, John Evans, had two orders, um, and one one of them was calling for citizens to kill and destroy indigenous people who are deemed hostile, and that legislation was used to start Sand Creek Massacre, and that language was never officially revoked, even after Colorado achieved statehood. So 157 years later, only like last month, was that language changed. So it was still technically legal to kill indigenous people in Colorado up until last month. Um, and, you know, for me, just thinking about the power of actions, but the power of words, you know, my mom always speaks of words being like seeds and you have to be careful of the, the, the things you say, the seeds you plant, the words you say about others and yourself because you give, you give life to it in that way. And words, you know, like in these legislation, those harmful things, words that called us savage and, and hostile, and as Lyo was saying, deemed us not even human. I think all of that impacts those soul wounds have continued until today. And it, 
wasn't until I started working with Indigenous youth for one of my jobs. My job was to help them get into college to increase like post-secondary enrollment. Um, And the language of these federal grants, you know, it's just so much around like, um, you know, colonialism, like good grades, like as high SAT scores, like all these things. And the longer I did it, I was just like, there's this whole other component missing around like spiritual health, emotional health, mental health, and how all of those things tie into a person's quote unquote success. So it just seemed like this, this missing piece, you know, and for me, um, you know, youth, they're, they're always that, that beacon, that like indicator. Um, I wish I could think of a better metaphor because I don't like coal mines, but like the canary in the coal mines, you know, like if the canaries died, like that was the warning to the miners that, the air wasn't good. The situation wasn't good. It was deadly. And I think when so many of our youth are taking their lives or dying from different substance abuse and things like that, like that's our, our canary, like that's showing us like something is wrong um, with this world, which we've all known, but, and so then the next step was do something. So for me, like Lila struggling a lot in my youth with, with substance abuse, with anxiety that I think comes from that historical and personal trauma as well like that's something like on the on the lower end I think people live with anxiety all the way up to the things like depression and other 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 um other things that need healing but for me poetry writing music like those were the things that grounded me like that was my medicine that was my therapy and so you know, we, I found um, a group of, of artists, a group of friends, family, who I believed, um, you know, were similar, like warriors in that way, like each of them had survived and like, carried these scars and stories of survival that I thought, wow, like if, if this student heard Lila, I know they would, they would get like the inspiration they need. Or if this student heard tall Paul or if this student heard Jordan or if this student heard Frank like just all of the people that we work with and I thought you know how can I assemble like relatives to come together so we visit communities and tell our stories tell our stories of survival because you know that's how a lot of our history a lot of our lessons are passed down through these stories like storying is sacred storying is our medicine like if you go visit elders and you want to learn about something, you'll often get a story. And there's so much in that story, so many lessons, like things you can pull out. And so for me, that was, that was the key. Like that was um, providing that triage, you know, Lila and I um, were talking earlier, you know, like we're the first on the scene sometimes like doing that triage and just doing what we can to offer, offer help. And then the students and the youth and community, they have all the other resources, like their school, their families, their, their aunties and grandmas and people that, that help. Cause for us, you know, healing and, and working on your, your wellness, it's, it's communal, you know, it's never an individual process. Well, thank you both so much for being here. And, um, I think that was a really important place to begin. And not only is this such recent history that these things have happened, but it's still ongoing. Um, And I think that's a really important point to make for people to continue to realize and to keep in the forefront. And I often think about like the whole situation at the border between Texas and Mexico, like false border, how it's divided, you know, peoples and nations and a lot of the people that are getting held there are actually indigenous people that are um, migrating upwards into into the quote unquote United States. Um, And yeah, just how tragic that is. Yeah, a lot of our communities have been split in half by that border because we're actually predating that border. Um, uh, And yeah, just to also put in context, you know, Uh, when I was a freshman in college, Tanea was my RA at Stanford University, and she was doing creative writing, and I was doing um, um, anthropology, and she was even back then really working hard to be a good mentor to uh, the Native youth, the incoming freshmen, such as myself. Um, I think you were a junior or a senior then? senior senior yeah so I was a freshman senior so um 
And then, you know, we, who would know that, you know, eight years later, or whatever it was, we would be, you know, working together to, uh, and then Tanea founded this beautiful management company called the Dream Warriors. And, and those warriors that she speaks of, you know, there's seven of us, and we're a musician collective, and we get to go around and uh, do our therapy for our people, um, which comes in the form of music and story. And yeah, there's, there's the bigger root of the issue, like Tanea said, even the fact that in the US Constitution still today, Native people are called merciless Indian savages, <laughs> which I laugh, but it's actually, it's, it's incredibly tragic that to this day in the US Constitution, that's how our people are referred to. And how ironic, right? Because how merciless has the government been to us? Like how many people of our, of our nations have been massacred? How many times have, has the BIA, you know, starved us? How many times have we been put into concentration camps, et cetera, um, on our own homelands, you know? And so there's those bigger pictures of like why we're in this situation. And then there's the the paramedics like us, the dream warriors on the ground, trying to treat the symptoms, you know, trying to treat the symptoms of colonization, the ways in which our youth uh, are sort of invisible in this country, um, and the ways in which they are taught to see themselves, you know, in, even in our own uh, public schools on the reservations or tribal BIA schools, the, the history books are, are not complete. Sometimes we have to struggle for cultural education in our own schools. Um, language immersion is, is very rare. And of the 250 some indigenous languages that are spoken in the US and Canada, I recently read that only about 30 of them are being spoken by the children. Uh, and so the rest are sort of on their way out if the children don't learn. And so, you know, there's the, the bigger picture of like, how the U.S. you know conceives of us or sometimes doesn't even think of us at all it was sort of an afterthought uh, but then on the ground really taking care of the youth the best that we can and you know being independent to the extent that we can and, and even if the world doesn't recognize us or doesn't uplift us or continues to berate us you know at least we can can get together and support one another through these workshops, which we have a big one next week in uh, the Four Corners area. But yeah, so just a little context of how the Dream Warriors started and what we do. Yeah, so what is this event that you have coming up? I also saw that you have a new album out. Yeah, I'll talk about the event and Lila can talk about her, her, her album. It's, it's so exciting. Um, for a couple of years now, we've been working with the Southern U community and the Ute Mountain Ute community in Southern Colorado. And one of the things that we like to do as an artist collective is to return to communities and schools as often as we can. I know in research, sometimes they call it like helicopter research, where you just like keep that bird's eye view and just like use the community for your purposes and you never come back. And we don't want to do that as artists. Like it's about, and as indigenous people, it's about building and maintaining relationships. And so, um, for us, you know, we're really lucky that um, some of the communities and schools do do appreciate that and bring us back um, as often as they can. In this community, we work with the KSUT Tribal Radio Station, and they have a grant through the Colorado Health Foundation. And so we um, got to go a couple years ago and just, you know, perform and tell our stories. But the best part is like teaching those skills, you know, just leaving those tools that helped us, those tools that helped liberate us, like leaving those with the youth and community as well. So they can use it for their own expression or however they, they want to use those things. So um, we went and we made a song with them. Like we did a little video. We taught them about writing and performing and memorize. Like there's just everything that goes into making a song and performing. We try to teach and it went really well. And then, you know, the next year we were supposed to do it in person with the Ute Mountain Ute community in Toyak, Colorado, but 
because of COVID, we weren't able to do that, but we pivoted. We did an online beats and braids program where we worked with youth um, like through Zoom to just try to teach as well. And now it's going to be our first time coming all together um, since the pandemic and to get to do workshops. And so we're going to get to visit with the schools. We're going to get to go to the Ute Mountain Ute community, and then we're going to get to work with elders as well and just hear their stories and do a poetry writing workshop with them. So uh, we're really excited uh, about that. Yeah, it's been wonderful to work with the youth and like I said, apply our, our, our type of therapy to the kids. Cause I think Tanea and I both, you know, writing and music saved our lives, perhaps definitely saved mine. I remember being in the lowest point of my life ever when I was in the eighth grade. Um, and <clears throat> that's when I discovered slam poetry and that's when everything changed pretty much. Uh, I had a life all of a sudden I had a outlet I had an identity I had self-esteem <clears throat> so we try to give, give these young people something similar and and also model to them what it looks like to be an artist uh and so yeah one of the I didn't I didn't have an album come out but I had a single come out called the North Star and it's on all the streaming platforms and stuff it's my first sort of like electronic pop type of song trying to reach like more young people and it's a song about just being completely lost and not knowing where to go and and asking creator for help you know like some people call it Allah or God or um different words for the divine but you know some sometimes some nations say call it creator so it starts off saying you know oh my creator helper of my soul walk with me on this road because I can't do it on my own and it's just an invocation song asking creator to, to be with me and and something that maybe people could sing along to and remember to ask creator to come into their lives um, and yeah I I know one really amazing you probably know her therapist uh, Margaret Paul she wrote a book called the inner bonding workbook and uh, she started out as a, as a licensed psychologist, therapist, and she realized that there was some holes in the methodology and that uh, connection to a divine higher power, as she calls it, is uh, part, part and parcel to healing. And so uh, she just comes out with it. You know, she's pretty unashamed about saying, you know, we need creator if we're going to heal fully. Um, and I think that goes back to what Tanea was saying of how, you know, our, our therapy that we need in Native communities definitely involves our, our ceremony, our songs, our, you know, people call them rituals, but they're actually kind of more like ceremonies. They're very gentle, very beautiful, very carefully done, and they have all these teachings encoded within them and embedded within them. And so um, I think a lot of what Dream Warriors does is we try to bring prayer to the youth too so in the songs that that a lot of us write we we reference creator and we reference uh that spirituality so that the young people could just remember that that's who we are as native people you know we're people of great faith and we're people who really believe in the spirits and the ancestors and the uh the creator and the, and the different guides that help us through um so that's kind of what the song is about yeah, and usually um, I, I'm also an artist and I make a little bit of music. Well, I do vocals mostly and my husband sets it to music. Um, but I usually, because of that, put a song at the end of every episode um, because I think psychology has a lot of holes and um, I found a lot more use in creativity and making art. And that's really like helped me the most um, in those processes. So I try to kind of imbue things with that as well so if you have either that song or another song or something that you would like to share and have me put at the end um I would love to do that if if you have one you'd like to share I'm sure we could find something too for sure yep um what else are you all working on now 
Um, it's always seems like so, so much <laughs> always like, yeah, like a bunch of little fires burning in different, different places. Um, I'm looking forward to the partnership with KSUT uh, and that one, they just actually found out yesterday that got awarded a, a three-year grant that will allow us to continue as dreamers doing this work with the communities there. Another year in the Southern Ute tribe, another year in Ute Mountain Ute, and then the third year can be somewhere else. Um, and that will be fun, fun to decide. Um, and then just personally, you know, I'm working on um, my next book of poetry it's called uh, When Stars Fall from the Sky. It's about my grandmother and uh, working on my first album as well. That's really exciting. I have a really talented um, friend who's my producer and engineer, and he's just phenomenal. And um, I'll just send him the chords, and then it's just crazy to see what he comes up with. And um, one song I want to work on actually with, with Lila and some of the other members of our, our little Dream Warrior family so that that one will probably come out before before the album, honestly, but I'm excited for that. Um, it's just been really healing to work on music, I feel like, during this this whole pandemic. And then um, Lila and I have big dreams about creating something in the future too, getting our own piece of, of land to do programming, to do, um, you know, um, restoration of the land, to... Lila wants to have sheep on the land. We'll have indigenous foods and indigenous garden, do programming, be able to host other artists for retreats and just keep doing what we're doing, but to have a home, a home base for it. So I feel like that's, that's what I'm cooking in my kitchen, but I'll let Lila share some of the awesome things she has going on. Um, yeah. Um, my main goal right now is, is a lot of self-healing and just going inward. And trying to, um, as one of my mentors says, go through my life with a fine tooth comb and just kind of understand why I do what I do. What are my patterns? What are my blind spots? Because um, I'd really like to live in this life. I'd really like to live according to the truth of, of just everything. Um, and I think so, when so much trauma happens in someone's life, it's hard to um, look at all of it some of it's so deeply ingrained in me that I don't even know it's there so that's kind of my main project right now um, but I'm also uh, working on a PhD which I'm almost done with and I'm really grateful that I've gotten this far I'm about three and a half years into it and um, just finished my comprehensive exam so I just advanced to candidacy so now I have to write the the dissertation um, element of it and so I'm working with my committee to get that done and but between that and trying to heal myself that's about all I can handle right now so I'm just trying to uh, get those things done as, as soon as possible so that I could start working a little more fluently in the community and helping out um, so yeah that's sort of what I'm up to and um and I also was thinking, you know, like we've shared a lot on this podcast of what the history that Indigenous peoples have gone through and what we're going through today. And um, I imagine people are asking themselves, like, you know, what, what can I do? What can we do to sort of be a part of the solution and help? And um, I think that what we can all do is number one, you know, if, if you like to pray, you know, to keep us in your prayers, of course, is important. Uh, and number two is to, to get behind indigenous led uh, programs, programs that native people have already started, who maybe don't have funding or the network or the publicity to fully complete their dreams. But a lot of amazing programs are going on. Everything from food sovereignty to language revitalization to uh, elder care to um, really looking at economic development that's in alignment with our traditional values. Uh, there's a lot of them, um, you know, supporting two spirit youth. You know, there's so many different things that um, Native people are working on that could use some support. I, I forgot what the statistic is, but the percentage of philanthropic dollars that goes to indigenous peoples is atrociously low. Um, 
it's way lower than the percentage we are of the population of the US. Um, and so, you know, I've really been thinking about funding and, and where does, where is the funding going and why? And, you know, especially with Black Lives Matter, it's wonderful that more uh, organizations of color are getting visibility. And yet, even in this renaissance of sort of equity that are, I guess it's maybe just the naissance, it's not rebirthing, it's just birthing for the first time in this country, but of equity in, in all sectors, you know, even then Native people are getting left out. And so even within the communities of color conversation, Indigenous peoples are not really front and center. Uh, and that's okay, you know, it, we all are helping each other's movements and that's really good. Uh, but even still, I see us getting um, ignored or even just not even thought about, not, not thought about in the conversation. Like there'll be a whole diversity, equity and inclusion training that won't even mention indigenous peoples. Um, and so just keeping us in mind where, where when we're creating these things. Uh, and, and another thing is, is land back. You know, if people have uh, land or are working with churches who have, you know, hundreds of acres or uh, even universities with, with huge land bases, um, re repatriating land to indigenous peoples that was stolen. Um, you know, many tribes are living in Oklahoma right now at, still as refugees. They haven't been home for 150 years. Um, the Potawatomi, you know, the Peoria tribe, lots of different nations don't have access to their traditional homelands. And so even a, even 10 acres where they could be safe to go and pray and is a good foothold to start building outward from there. Um, so yeah, that's just sort of some ideas of how we can all be a part of the solution. And of course, within the psychology realm, there is so much, you know, juicy stuff that could be done from, you know, community-based research that's guided by indigenous peoples, you know, to really letting the native community lead what the research is and what it's trying to achieve and how to do it properly. Um, to, you know, again, putting more dollars into mental health for indigenous peoples. So yeah, just thought I'd mention all that. Yeah, and I can definitely put links to anything in particular that you'd like to link to to kind of point people towards. And I think like you said as well, like bringing spirituality back into it because, um, you know, so many, so many beliefs that are totally, I don't know, to me, essential to being a human are pathologized in psychology, um, like people talking to their ancestors, like people being very spiritual. It's kind of looked at as like a defense or, you know, something that's like pathological instead of something that's inherently human, um, being connected to your to the land, being connected to your roots, being connected to your ancestry. And now they have a they have a term called transgenerational transmission of trauma that's like getting more popular in psychology. And of course, you know, indigenous peoples, uh, African people that were brought over as slaves, you know, they talked about this for a long time um, and the transgenerational transmission of trauma. And only now are psychology circles kind of recognizing that that's a thing. Yeah, I'll share a book called uh, Inflamed. It's by uh, Rupa Maria and Raj Patel. And it's uh, a medical doctor's take on the effects of colonization on all of us, actually, not just indigenous peoples, but they talk about inflammation and how stress and inflammation are connected um, and how the process of colonization and the process of um, I wanna say like the 1%, how it sort of extracts from a larger community is leading to inflammation, which is leading to uh, physical health issues. And so they kind of draw this really interesting connection and she's done all kinds of research looking at or compiling other research, how native people who know their traditional language actually have a lower incidence of diabetes rate in that community. So really interesting research that's going on in Canada is showing you know, the, the correlation between being connected to your roots and, and, and physical and mental health um, 
but yeah, I'll share that with folks. She, she talks about the three supremacisms. Uh, there's male supremacy, this idea that men are supreme over women. Um, white supremacy, the idea that white folks are supreme over other folks. And then human supremacy, the idea that humans are supreme over other beings in the world. And uh, so, yeah, I'd, I'd love to share that book with folks. It's, she's, a, she's compiled a lot of research and worked pretty hard on this and it has an interesting uh, uh, thesis. Perfect. Yeah, so I'll link to that as well. Um, how did you get into poetry? Ooh, for me, I feel like there's just, it's been a part of my whole life, you know, like they teach you in school, but I feel like on away games for my team, I was always like coming up with little like rhymes or just like remixing other songs to new songs to just like make people laugh, make the trip more enjoyable. And then for me during most like intent, more intensely during my senior year in high school, after losing my grandfather in a really traumatic way. And he was very much like a stable, like father figure in my life and just wanting to like drop out of school and then wanting to go back to school because I wanted to go to college still and had those big dreams of going to Stanford. And, and when I wanted to go back to school, the, they wouldn't let me come back initially until I could find a teacher willing to let me back in that late in the semester. You know, they said I couldn't get caught up, even though I was like, supposed to be this ludatorian or whatever of my class. So that's some racism for you. But um, and the only teacher willing to let me in the class was uh, the spoken word teacher, the poetry teacher. And so that's where I just found like this inlet, this outlet that I never knew I needed. You know, I could write about trauma. I could write about encoded language, about things I didn't want people to know. Could write about missing my grandfather and that's when poetry really became that lifeline. And then going to college with those dreams about what your loved ones want you to be and what you think you want to be. So I was like, I'm going to be this lawyer, but needing to take a full, full load so I could still have my scholarship. So the, the person in our dorm sent around like fun classes to take and poetry was on there. And I was like, poetry was fun then. Let me try it now. And that became my lifeline at Stanford was just a class where I could just express myself and write, even though I was writing very differently, I feel like from my peers. And then I think it took a year before I was brave enough to say, all right, I'm not going to study political science. I'm going to study English. And then from there, I just kept following the path of poetry and it's led me some really beautiful places and to get to work with and reconnect with people like like Lila, it's so funny how I always like forget sometimes that we met at Stanford. And when she says it, it feels like I've lived so many lives since then. I often forget, but um, I'm grateful, you know, that poetry has brought me to, to some really good people and um, being able to like connect with communities in that way. And um, sometimes I think I'm not going to write anymore, but it's, it's the thing that like how Lila's talking about working on, on healing and self-care, like that's what poetry is for me because I have to like silence the external world and get within myself. And so I had avoided writing like poetry for such a long time and um, music helped heal. I feel like other wounds, but poetry is like the deepest, deepest parts of me. You know, I had this one professor at Stanford Um, his name was Lee Young Lee. And he always talked about poetry, like alchemy, like being able to turn things into gold, into other things like in gold. And it has that ability. But he also said poetry was of the dying breath because it's meant to be read aloud. And every time you're speaking, like it's on an exhale. So it's that poetry is of a dying breath. And it's always this internal life and life and death. And for me, I feel like that really resonates what poetry is and it's and it's hard to get to that place sometimes where it's like you have to silence that voice telling you you're not good enough or that you don't have anything to say and then the parts of you that don't want to go back into the wound you know because sometimes the the source of the wound is the source of the healing and it's so hard to go back there and but poetry you know it allows you to go back there and to rewrite things or to focus in on a part 
that you need, you know, like how in EMDR or whatever therapy, like where they tell you to like go back to the moment, what's happening. You're there as your adult self, but poetry is like that too. Like you go back to the wound, you can write what you need to write. You can focus in on a moment that you need to focus in on. Um, and that's something I've always appreciated about poetry. Thanks for sharing that sister. Yeah, I, um, I, I was 14 and I went to my first poetry slam and my friend Coral Bernal, she won first place, hands down, uh, amazing indigenous poet. And, um, I, that was, that was, I was gone. I was a goner. I just, poetry would be my life pretty much from, from that day forward. And, um, I, there was a poetry class in my high school and um, they gave varsity poetry and junior varsity poetry and you got like a little letter for your letterman jacket and it was like a big deal because Taos, New Mexico, you know, very artsy and um, I was doing different poetry slams across the country and that was a great, a very interesting chapter of life and I think as native people, you know, slam poetry back when it was a big thing, it seems to have tapered off, but you know, we have so much to say, we have so much to share and so much that's been pent up for 500 years that it's a, it's a really precious outlet to, to both speak and to be heard and then to be, you know, recognized sometimes winning national slams or state slams, you know, our people have really transmitted our in our knowledge to the world through this medium and Tanea continues to do that with her books and her publications and it's just really you know Joy Harjo is the poet laureate of the United States right now and she's a Muscogee I believe Muscogee um, and she's you know an amazing indigenous woman who just writes what's in her heart and the world has couldn't help but hear it you know and now she's the poet laureate of the whole United States and she just came out with a book as well Joy Harjo it's called Poet Warrior so you know check that out I haven't read it yet but I'm sure it's really good um she's you know so uh, in Jamaica Osorio from Hawaii you know lots of different indigenous poets throughout the country have sort of come to the fore and use that as a medium to to, to, to speak what's, what's been dormant for way too long. And so I think it's, a, it's definitely therapeutic for us and for everyone to start to speak these stories and not just about the, the sorrow, but about the beauty of our people and, and uh, pass that on to our children. Thank you for listening to Rendering Unconscious. You've just heard a discussion with Lila June and Tanea Winder. For more, please follow them on Instagram and visit their websites. Links to everything can be found in the text accompanying this episode. And now, the song North Star featuring Quincy Davis by Lila June. Streaming on all platforms now. You can see the music video on YouTube. All Bandcamp sales benefit 7th Generation Fund. Dedicated to indigenous people's self-determination and the sovereignty of native nations. Visit lilajune.bandcamp.com. Enjoy. Oh, my creator, helper of my soul, walk with me on this road, cause I can't do it on my own. No, I can't do this alone. These days I walk with 
Through your eyes. 